0: Welcome to Gen Z Hoops, the Gen Z basketball, coaching, and sports business show. On this podcast, you'll learn from professional players, coaches, and executives from all over the world, and see the court in a brand new way. And now, joining you courtside, your Gen Z
1: host, John Hartafillis.
0: Hey Zach, what's going on?
1: How you doing, man?
0: Doing great. Really excited to have you on the morning after the draft, right? Last night was pretty crazy. A lot of things went down. I know you were super invested in it, right? Because the draft's been a big part of what you've been keeping up with. So I'm just excited, obviously, to ask you all about that. But before we get into all that stuff, obviously, right, you're super knowledgeable about that. You're also doing some pretty cool stuff on your own outside outside of the draft, obviously, with the work you've been doing, leading up to it at Cornell, with Sports Aptitude. So just starting off, I mean, I kind of want to ask you about maybe before getting to Cornell, at Cornell, like what have you, what, what, what have you been kind of doing to set yourself up for success in the sports industry?
1: Yeah, so coming into college, I, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to work in basketball operations. So everything I've done has been try like I've been trying to take a step towards that with every, st- every decision I've made since coming to college. Even at my high school, we had like senior projects. So for that, like I just interviewed a ton of people that work in sports and basically started the networking process early and put together like a little description of like wh- what I found as like how you can break into sports and who knows if I would agree with it looking back, you know, three years now. But um, that's, that was my start. And then I, I went to Cornell. I saw that as kind of the best option for pursuing, you know, my goals. And we have a really strong alumni network in sports. We have a lot of really exciting clubs. Um, the curriculum is really interesting, obviously. So I went there and I immediately got involved with a couple sports clubs there. Our sports business society and the big red sports network, which is like kind of like the athletic for Cornell sports, I guess. Like, we do broadcasting and stuff, but we also go, we like to call it beyond the box score. So, we try to do some hard hitting storytelling and really connect the like fans at Cornell with our athletes as like people, as human beings. Um, So, I got really involved there. I'm the co president of BRSN and then. I've had my hand in a lot of different aspects of SBS, but the main things for me have been the research department, where I did some analytics projects, and then through leadership positions, both with the research department this past year and now this year with the club as a whole, um, I've been in charge of bringing in speakers and doing career services events and facilitating networking. So that whole process, I've gone to build up my own network and kind of learn about how to connect with individuals in sports and just get a better feel for the industry. So between BRSN and an SBS, as well as like trying to connect every single class I take to sports somehow, like I, I swear, like I was taking accounting this past semester and in my head, I was like, okay, how does this relate to like balancing a cap book in, in the NBA, right? I try to do that every class. So between all of those, and then the work opportunities I've gotten, I've really tried to make the most of it uh, as far as working towards a career in sports. And then, yeah, you mentioned sports aptitude. I've, had, I've been lucky enough to have some really cool remote work opportunities over the past year. Pretty crazy, I've, I've actually not met a single one of my bosses in person, which is really wild to think about. Uh, hopefully I'll be meeting uh, my current boss at Summer League this year. But um, yeah, so I'm at sports aptitude now, I'm the director of training there, although some might <laughs> get confused by it it does not mean that I'm training any players in the court, my role is to help build out uh, kind of platforms to onboard clients into our services, our clients are athletes that kind of want uh, some, some insight and some guidance in their career path as well as prospective talent evaluators. So yeah, that's kind of where I am now. Uh, Happy to dive into anything else that I've done in the process though.
0: So to confirm you're not Drew Halen, right?
1: (laughs) No, sir. I uh, (laughs) really big fan of Pure Sweat, but uh, not an employee by any means
0: always funny right everyone always gets confused with the whole director of training team, but you know you're doing some really cool stuff and it's and for all those listening your class of 2023 at Cornell so you still have two years of school left super super young and right with the, with the blocks you're laying down right you're gonna do some great things that's why it's so incredible right getting to see uh, what that roadmap kind of looked like you're doing some really cool things sports aptitude Cornell all this great stuff and you're watching the draft pretty keenly and I know you have right like like like, like every year in the draft things happen that are pretty surprising it's not no, no draft follows a perfect draft board trades happen during the draft and everyone uh it makes everyone reshape their boards and reshape what's going to happen, Uh, not just for the picks um, around where that's going on, also picks 10, 20, 30 picks down the line in the second round. Everything's kind of impacted by these things, and franchises are altered. Uh, One of those was the Rocks trading a future first-round pick uh, for the 16th pick. I mean, what did you really see with that one, and and who do you think comes out of that?
1: Yeah, so uh, I think it's going to make your boy Nima really happy. Alpern Schengen is a divisive prospect, to say the least, but they obviously saw something in him to... Not only like select him, but to trade back into the draft to take him, and and also be able to maintain the picks that they have later in the draft. Um, So Shengun is going to be really interesting because he's like a (laughs) I forget who it was, but someone described him as Hakeem Elijahwan if you take away everything but the post game, (laughs) which is pretty fair honestly. He is a really good post player. A lot of people will point to like. His passing, dribbling, uh, shooting, those are all, like, works in progress. He's more athletic than you'd expect, for sure. Um, I mean, he was the Turkish League MVP this year. So even though they had a little bit of an off-year talent-wise, still impressive. But he's just going to be a really interesting guy to see develop in a in a team that has no expectations anytime soon. And I, I'll just say pairing him with Uzman Garuba, like, they're polar opposites of each other to me because in which I love because Garuba is this like stunted offensive player who's still developing the purpose game but like Nima said he's the best he, he sees him as the best defender in the class he's definitely one of the best defenders in the class in my opinion and it's like everyone has said if you're getting Shengun, you need to have a good defender that's a big next to him that can compensate for him and Garuba is the best like option for that in the class so that's just a really fun pairing because it's like fire and ice defense and offense really interesting pair of moves there for sure
0: you mentioned how, like, you know, like there, there, there's a development, there's a work in progress, like right, right? taking one skill, how do we fit the other ones in? And that's something, right, people maybe forget about the draft uh, being that, you know, you maybe have to keep your expectation in check. Not every pick's going to be an all-star. Not every pick's going to be a superstar player. I mean, have you kind of seen that maybe people kind of shy away from that understanding and just think everyone's going to be a great player um, instead of just maybe looking at it a little more optimistically and saying someone becoming a starter is a is a big win?
1: I, I'll say I, I, generally speaking, hate the term bust for two reasons. One is because the term bust implies that it is the player's fault, I feel like. And very often, like if you make it to the NBA, you're a talented basketball player, right? And generally speaking, I'd say the majority of busts are often organizational. I won't say failures, but it's the organization not being able to to devote the resources necessary for that player's development. So that's part of it. But the other thing, like you were saying, is that the reason so many guys are labeled a bust is because we set such high expectations on them. My best example, I mean, you could take so many guys from last night, but Raekwon Gray went, let's see, I think 58th, 59th overall. And the broadcast, he goes up on the broadcast, they're describing him they go, yeah, he reminds me of Draymond Green a little bit. And it's like, if someone reminds you or if you're going to project him to be Draymond Green that is a top five pick if, if realistically that's what you see and the thing is it it never the comps are very rarely realistic and I think it's partially the media uh, I think it could be pressure on the, for the teams I think it could be pressure from the owners but I think that, that both in the fans eyes and even in the team's eyes sometimes there's this expectation that like a player, if a player doesn't reach their hundredth percentile outcome, that they are a bust. When in reality, if you like if you draft number two, Jalen Green went number two, right? The average number two pick, I am pulling this out of my head. I, I have a chart somewhere, but the average number two pick, I believe, averages 10 points a game, which obviously that might be a little disappointing. But point being, if Jalen Green ends up being a high-end starter even below all-star level, that is a good player and it is better value than you would see on average at that pick. And I know that's not as exciting to say that kind of stuff. And I'm all for the air of optimism and and believing the potential of guys. But I think the the simplest fix of it, and this is what I do in all of my evaluations, is I say, this is the player's 25th percentile outcome. I don't say their floor because their floor is where they are currently at, which is themselves. Um, so this is their 25th percentile outcome, this is their 50th percentile outcome, and this is their 75th percentile outcome because any higher than that is you can't count on that. And for some guys, like a Jalen Green, his 75th percentile outcome is still gonna be an all-star, all on type guy. But you look at BJ Boston, for example, was drafted, I think, 51st or 50th of the Clippers. He is someone who his 25th percentile outcome is going to be probably flaming out in two years. 50th is a probably a guy who plays two or three years in the in the NBA and his 75th percentile outcome is like a solid bench player with his like 90th percentile outcome being an all-star because everyone loves to talk talk about his potential. Long story short, people need to temper the expectations and I'll just also quickly say like if you look at on the team side I alluded to that a lot of the reason that like top 10 picks will often look like busts on the court is because they're forced to play a role that they aren't because the teams feel obligated. Like, oh, I took him top 10. I need to make him a star. But, you know, I'm looking at the top 10 from last night and Franz Wagner is one example of that. I love him. He's one of my favorite prospects. I don't think he's going to be an all-star and he's not going to be your primary scoring option ever. He could very well be your best defender and he's a great, great, great connector offensively. And I'm really glad he's going to Orlando because they have guys that are going to be clear number one, number two options over him offensively. But if he went to another team, they might have tried to force him to be something he's not, which is what can be so debilitating to some of the top players.
0: So much is based on situation and so many people, you started off perfectly beginning by saying everyone labels the term bus as being the player's fault. That's not always how how it ends up happening. A lot of times it is based on organizational stuff. And you'll see, right, with those expectations being so high. Teams look to trade picks on draft night. There's always those rumors. Fans always thinking about, okay, well, what are we gonna do with these picks? The Warriors were really expected to trade one of their two picks, either number seven or number 14 in last night's draft. And they didn't. And like, obviously a lot of, a lot of near trades almost happened last night, but they didn't. Did you, I mean, what do you normally see uh, with, with just trades almost happening, not happening? And, and just so much talk about things happening in the, in the league because teams almost feel like they have to make moves to, to stay
1: afloat. Yeah, I mean, I think every year, like any... Move that doesn't make complete sense is often like jockeying into position for a good trade to be made. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Brooklyn getting another first round pick last night was them trying to move up or something. Um, I think they're probably happy with what they got, but every team is talking to every team about trades and it's just whether they go through or not, right? So, would Golden State have rather traded for some immediate contribute or more immediate contributors who? you know are going to be stars or, or even good role players, probably. But they kept the picks. Probably one of the most surprising moves of the draft. And honestly, Kaminga is a divisive prospect to me. I'm, I feel like I've said that a few times about guys, but we just have to be honing on these guys. But compared to Jalen Green, he struggled against the G League competition, right? And he's so raw. And his biggest thing is his his tools, his, his frame and his athleticism and he couldn't even use those against professional level guys at the G League level. So he's just a raw guy, whereas Golden State is obviously in a short window for success right now. Moses Moody is slipping to 14. I mean, oh my God. Um, I had him as a potential option for Orlando at five. So I think that's great value. I think they did really well with the picks they got, both short and long term. There's always going to be those trades that feel like they're going to happen. This year was Golden State and it was Ben Simmons, not not necessarily those two with each other, but those two happening to some in some degree and it just didn't come through. Right. But you got to be able to kind of think on your feet, though. And I think they did that very well.
0: Of course. And then there's other teams, right, that keep their pick. And they'll take someone that people really aren't expecting, like Josh Primo going number 12 to the Spurs. Uh, Bo-, Bo Estes even tweeted out saying, like, so Spursy to take a guy that, you know, it wasn't even invited to the green room or something like that. Right. That's just some, just what they do. Uh, what did you maybe think of that pick and someone that really maybe people here at home don't know a lot about? But obviously, if you know, you know that he's got a lot of uh, skill sets.
1: Yeah, so if I'm gonna be honest, I thought the Spursiest pick would have been Shengun here because like I mean it would just make so much sense for them to take this like offensive stud from overseas and just mold him into the perfect new like Spurs big of the future. Primo is interesting. I had him going second round, like early second round, mind you. I thought he could sneak up to like as high as twenty, um, but the Spurs proved me wrong. Um, But no, so he's I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the youngest player in the draft. He has good shot making skills, like a a solid frame, you know, handles the ball decently. Defense is, is pretty solid. But he's just the definition of a raw, raw prospect. And I saw, I forget who said it, but someone explained that the difference between him and most like raw young guys is that he's not like an athletic freak of nature. Whereas like Keon Johnson, for example is probably a year, year and a half older than him. And he went 21st to the Knicks. He had the highest recorded vertical ever in in combat in history. So Primo is an enigma there. And you and I were speaking beforehand about this. And we we were initially talking about maybe doing some grades. And I said, I just can't do that. But if I were to give him a grade, it would would be a question mark. Because if the Spurs take him in and mold him perfectly, that's awesome. It's just he is so far to go in my eyes to get to a, like, Rotation level players, kind of level of production, but who better than the Spurs to develop him? Right.
0: See what happens there, and right, that's kind of the same thing you'll see is right. Let's we'll see what the situation does because maybe that accelerates things by a few years, and, and he's a he's a productive player. We'll see how that maybe plays out. Um, and some other guys, maybe we spoke about off air that you were really surprised about it, and 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 we're we going to talk about the picks now. Where uh, Jaden Springer at twenty eight, and I was curious, right? I I didn't know too much about him, but but you had some real had some really strong opinions on it. I was curious to see what you thought about that.
1: Yeah, so I will say Springer at twenty eight wasn't shocking as far as my projections of him like were or my prediction of, of how teams saw him I thought he would go between 20 and 30 realistically but I had him as a lottery grade um, potentially like top 10 Um and I know a lot of people on draft twitter as well had him that way it's interesting because obviously you hear all these like rumors come out and like the it, it sounds kind of cliche saying this but it's totally true like every rumor that we as the public here, it gets out because someone wanted to get out, right? But I had heard that the Hawks had gave given him a promise at 20. And I also had heard that he was going to be rising up draft boards because he was, like, restricted by an ankle injury this year. And he was super explosive compared to what we saw. But, yeah, he's going to 76ers. I think he's going to be a steal for them. I think him and Tyrese Maxey going forward is going to be... And, and if they keep Tybal, oh, my God. I'm, I love it. Just a, a brief description of his game. I think Springer, I it's it's weird saying this, but I think he's actually one of the more underrated defenders in this draft class. I think he is I would make the argument that he's a top 2 or top 3 off-ball defender in the class. His he just looks cerebral. Like he's calculating the angles almost. Like like as an off-ball defender. He'll have his lapses from being young every now and then, but he's just a thrill to watch defensively. Offensively, I've heard a lot of different projections of him. Some people see him as a primary. Um, a few people I've talked to see him as like almost like a 3 and D wing. Um, he's tricky because he shot a really good percentage on his of his threes this year, just on very low volume. But he has the tools to get downhill and finish through contact. He's a really strong player. Like He like is a little bowling ball, right? Yeah, I see him... Uh, offensively as like a your secondary playmaker which is why I would have loved him with Atlanta because he would have played off of Trey so well but he's gonna be your secondary playmaker who can cut slash not a great catch and shoot guy but he can shoot the open shot uh some solid passing so I think that the I I'd be very very happy if I was in the Sixers front office right now
0: Excited to see what that mix would look like. And it's just funny, right? Seeing you were like Matisse Iable, all these guys, right? Like that, that's, that's kind of what is so fun about these drafts that, you know, we're getting all excited about this stuff and can't wait to see it all on the court. And we will be seeing it soon at summer league. So I'm excited about that. Uh, but maybe moving on to some of the guys that went um, in the second round that were even more surprising. One of them being Nima's boy, uh, Sharif Cooper. Uh, everyone maybe saw him as a, as a town or being fun to watch. That could have gone much earlier. I mean, what did you really see happened uh, with that pick?
1: Yeah. So I think there was just a collective like shock among everyone who like is a ta- like a talent evaluator at any level that isn't the NBA, obviously, because it seems like the t- the league collectively was lower on him than the public. But no, I've heard some people like PD Webb, who was on Gen Z Rockets. PD Webb was as high on Sharif Cooper as saying that the Raptors should consider him with the fourth pick. He went forty-eight. So I have a lot of thoughts on that. I thought he would end up going between 15 and 25 uh i really thought the knicks were going to take him with one of their picks they obviously made some trades uh they ended up going with deuce mcbride in the second round which is a great value pick but sharif I, I really am curious what happened with sharif because i i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say that any any of the prospects are inherently bad but there were some prospects that were taken over him that it, may, it brings some some questions for me like The biggest one for me would be Delano Banton. He's a six foot nine point guard from Nebraska that the Raptors took 46, right? So two picks before Sharif, but he was projected to be like a late second round pick. Whereas Sharif, like Nima hit it perfectly. He's just an incredible passer. He gets into the lane really well. So a lot of the thought on him was that he pulled a Lou Dort and he requested to not be drafted so he could take his pick of teams, which we actually saw happen with two guys this year, uh, Joel Ayayi and Austin Reeves. They both went to the Lakers, of course. But no, Sharif got picked up by Atlanta. I've seen some comps of him to Trey Young, which is just not correct for the reason I said earlier, but also because Sharif, his shot is one of the most developing parts of his game. He's a much different passer than Trey. I kind of want to say better in a, in a good amount of ways. Like the way he weights his passes and, and the timing on them is just incredible. And the the similarity I will say is that between Trey and Sharif, if Sharif is with the NBA, like if, if he's with the Hawks, getting some minutes, they'll be drawing so many free throws. Good, good for the Hawks. Good the Hawks, the Hawks did a great job in the draft. I have no idea why he dropped though.
0: And then another guy that dropped a lot. And I, I don't know. I don't know as much about him as I did with Sharif Cooper. Obviously, we keep on bringing up Nemo, right? He's super, super high. in Sharif Cooper did a whole episode on him. But uh, Jared Butler going to the Jazz at forty. Uh, what I mean, you 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 thought he'd go much further up too. What, what did you kind of see with him falling?
1: So yeah, he purely fell, from my understanding, because of his heart condition, which almost had him ruled out of the draft. The I forget what it's called, but like the NBA's like doctor panel. Basically, it was like a tripart panel where they had to review his medical history and and see if he could actually be ruled to play. So it was really tricky for teams because he wasn't ruled eligible for the draft by them until I think two weeks ago. So he couldn't get as many workouts. He couldn't do the combine, none of that. Right. So there was definitely limited exposure to him, but he was the final four most outstanding player in my opinion, which isn't necessarily worth much based on how the draft went. I would have taken him higher than Davion Mitchell or taken him before Davion Mitchell, I guess would be a better way to phrase it. Yeah, Jared Butler is just a really, really impressive player to me. I had him as a lottery grade. I know several people who had him as a top 10 grade. So basically the two criticisms on him are he offensively really prefers going one direction to the other and he's not a primary ball handler. That being said, he's a great combo guard who moves off the ball. I would say he's a top three or top two off-ball mover in the draft. Moves off the ball so well. Sets his feet so well for for catch and shoot or for step backs, uh, like off the dribble. Um, A lot of people criticize his finishing, but he's actually pretty solid at it, especially with his cutting ability. His off-ball defense is really, really impressive. Yeah, Jared Butler... I think is going to as long as he's healthy to play, which I really hope he is. I think he'll make a he'll have the ability to make a quick impact, and he's younger than Davion Mitchell too, so I think that he has more room to grow. I had him in my most recent mock that I did with with a couple friends. I took him with Indiana at thirteen. You know, it's it's a much different situation when you're a team that has to be investing money into someone, right? So. He fell because of his health, and now he's going to have to earn his way up with his play.
0: That, that whole idea of earning your way up with your play is something we're going to see from all these guys in the draft. Like, a lot of these guys, one thing for, for sure, they're going to prove a lot of people wrong. There's no way that when we look back at this draft, the same order in terms of like how it, it's going to be perfect the way they were drafted. and right. That's, there's no chance of that happening. I mean, we're, we're, gonna get to see, we're really only going to get to see it in, in a week or two um, when these guys are all going against each other at Summer League. You'll be there. I'll be there. I mean, I'm super excited for it. Who are you most excited for?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to stray away from people we've talked about just so we can get some other, some other names mentioned here. Wow. Let's who, see. Who are you
0: getting extra popcorn for when you're going to the game and you have it circled on your calendar? Like if you, you could have lunch, whatever it is, but you know like, what? no, nah, I can't get lunch. I have to go to this game and watch this guy play. Who is that?
1: Well, Cade is the easy answer just because he's a generational prospect. Right. But I will stray away from Cade for the sake of giving the spotlight to uh, a less appreciated player. Um, honestly, just because I'm such a fan of him, I'm really, I'm definitely gonna be at the Jazz games watching Jared Butler play for sure. I would say that like the guy that you're describing there for me, um, I would probably have to go with Cam Thomas or Bones Highland, who uh, they went back to back in the first round. Bones just has such incredible range; like he's gonna be electric. Cam Thomas is like the purest pure score to a fault almost uh that you could find really like he is just he makes tough shots and i think that that will at least in the summer league uh be really entertaining to watch and then i'll also just say as a whole the houston rockets are going to be awesome between Jalen green Jos christopher I don't, I would assume Kevin Porter Jr. is not going to be playing, but he's still young enough that he might. And then Shangud and Garuba, like I mentioned earlier, like those are just some really top tier talents that especially like if you narrow down the two tandems to the wing tandem and the big tandem, like it's just going to be awesome to see them play off each other. I'm
0: really excited for this. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we're really, I mean, it feels like it's, we've been kind of looking forward to such a long time. It's, it's, it's upon us. It's coming up soon. So can't wait to see you there, Zach. Thank you so much for joining the show and sharing all this insight with us. It's really been incredible, right? Being able to to learn so much from from someone like you that's been following this draft so keenly over the last few weeks or months for a really long time. So thank you
1: so much for joining the show and I'll see you soon, man. We'll see you down in Vegas. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on and I'm looking forward to seeing you there.
0: Thanks for listening to Gen Z Hoops. Make sure to follow, like, and subscribe on Instagram, LinkedIn, and all major social media platforms at Gen Z Hoops. You can tune in and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and every other podcast platform on the planet. Get ready for the next episode.